You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Episode 6060. And it's the second track on the de schooling release party mixtape. This one, I'm going to play around a little bit more with the whole mixtape concept. Y'all, oh my God, I've been doing mixtapes for the longest, but they're always interviews and conversations, whether it's in a book. Y'all ever heard about a mixtape book? Um, I made that up and I do that. <laughs> and then this one, I'm going to try to just sort of mix in different bits of conversation with less of me talking in between. If you got a problem with it, Go ahead and leave a voice message on AquilaSWitchers.com. But if you ain't saying nothing, I'm just going to keep on experimenting. <laughs> so Zara, Zara, Zara Alabanza is an Atlanta, um, not native, but an Atlanta resident who with her boys, Marley and Cassius, hit the continents. They started this hashtag called Hit the Continents. For their whole slow travel, unschooling explorations. And it's really, really wonderful to have Zara on because she's going to talk about how organizing and activism and just getting back to the things that have always meant something to her, how those both facilitate de-schooling for her and self-care. So she's going to talk about unconventional parenting, not just in terms of the approach to it, but even how she became a parent leaving the young corporate professional role to go into what really fed her soul and what that's looking like now further down the road. Listen, so much goodness in here. Lots of good sounds. Also, you'll hear a few tracks from Sarah Tonin. Jamie, who is based here in Atlanta too, makes the dopest beats. She's Sarah Tonin on Instagram, and I will definitely tag her on the social media post for this so y'all can get some music from her too. Shout out to Serotonin and shout out to you for listening to Fair of the Free Child podcast. Remember the show notes page for the episode is always the episode number at the end of my name. So it's AquilaSRichards.com forward slash six zero. AquilaSRichards.com forward slash six zero. Zara, you know, we're on here primarily to talk about the link between de-schooling and self-care. And as we chatted a bit before we started recording, I was just kind of giving Zara the framework that I have in my mind for why this is so important. And why you in particular came up for me, Zara, is that there's no myth of monolith. All of the different ways that you show up, you share them openly and beautifully, and we get to see that all of those things are connected. And that, I think, in and of itself, recognizing that is its own form of self-care. Yeah, I, I, that descriptor really resonates with me. Um, someone <laughs> put on one form of my social media, they referenced it as um, uh, messy divinity. And I was ah. like, yeah, I like that. And I think that that is part of what my care looks like for myself. It is being able to be vulnerable and seeing what comes out of that. And messy, not in that it's hurting anybody else, but messy as I haven't edited it before I've shared it. 
And that's a part of my processing. So I'm very much like a verbal processor. So it's helpful to sometimes put things out into the public and then have people give me language for it. Because as you've said, we don't have any examples for the things that we've chosen to do in our lives. (laughs) And so there's also not language for that. Um, And language becomes very helpful for me. So that's definitely one part of it. Sometimes my self-care looks like doing podcasts or being interviewed with different mediums because it helps me think really critically about things that I'm oftentimes just floating around in and living. Mm-hmm. I and understand not that fully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I got for you right now. <laughs> and when I think about how I even ended up in Atlanta, it was for self-care. It was I was teaching at a university, associate director of a nonprofit that hadn't had an associate director, and I had just received my children and was still working 60 hours a week and woke up mm-hmm. one day and was like, this isn't the life I ever imagined for myself. I very much ended up in a traditional model. I was a single parent. Granted, I got my children in a different way, but I was working and taking them to meetings with me and just was on that young professional path. And it's nothing I wanted for myself. And I woke up in January and was like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Chicago. Mm. I'm going to Atlanta to go ride a bike to practice yoga. (laughs) And by July, I was gone. I was here. And that was the part of my de-schooling. And it was fully encompassing self-care. I didn't call it de-schooling then, but when I think about where it started, that's where it started. It was a conscious decision to say, the life that I unconsciously created for myself isn't what I want. What do I want? And I love that you're asking the question instead of like writing down the goals of like, these are the seven things that I want. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we just know what doesn't feel good. As you said, like that life wasn't the one that you wanted for yourself. And you knew that. And sometimes that has to be enough. And that's such a huge part of de-schooling to unlearn the idea that you got to know exactly how something is going to unfold before you take the steps (laughs) forward. That knowing part. Yeah, that's not a part of the way that I live. I don't know most things. (laughs) Figuring it out. Yeah, that's why that laugh came over. You're like, ha, never been a problem. But that's like a superpower, though. You know that, right? Because I know this happens a lot for me where a lot of folks are like, how do you take that next step? I'm like, I don't know. And that's the answer. And I get such a big kick out of people's reaction to that. I legit don't know. I just know that the way that I am, like how my whole shit is set up, I'm not able to endure when I just don't want to be there. I, I know you know right. what I'm saying? Like, yes, I, do. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what that is. For the longest time, I thought that was a part of my brokenness. But I also now see it very much as a part of my self-care. I was sitting with a sister friend and she was asking me about that, what self-care looks like. That's been coming up a lot for me in in a lot of spaces. And I said, it wasn't a thing like going to get a massage. It was more so like a moment by moment thing, like not doing a lot of in-person meetings, because then it means that I have to like put on pants and brush my teeth and you know what I'm saying? Things that like, so I don't plan meetings and that's a part of my self-care because I get anxious about meetings. Mm -hmm. So just knowing those sort of things about yourself. And I feel like the fact that you process out loud like that, Zara, it gives us opportunity and sometimes even permission (laughs) to be like, yo, me too, me too, damn it. Yeah, absolutely. And then it can change the next day. But what I like (laughs) particularly about social media for me is just a record of where I was on that particular day in that particular moment. And I might not be able to tie it directly to what I was 
experiencing, but here's the response I had. And I'm like, oh, I wonder what that experience was. And you can still see the growth in that. So social media is definitely one of the the modes of, can be a mode of self-expression, which I do see as self-care. Because although we have so much access to people, we are often alone more than ever. So yeah, it's it's fascinating though. And I think self-care really is just like you said, like I realize sometimes I need to go in public and that feels really good after I've decided that I don't want to have those meetings because I don't want to get dressed. And then that one day a week I go out and I'm like, oh, the world's not that bad. Yes. That realization <laughs> is the care, not even the act, but the realization that, oh, it's not that bad if I go outside. You exactly. Know? <laughs> exactly. And to be okay with yourself doing that dance each time, trusting the feelings of not going versus the feelings of going. It's really, it's a relationship. Yes. The, the de-schooling process and the unschooling process, all of it is really just relationship management, relationship leadership, primarily your relationship with yourself. Because you start to see in those moments how much you don't, at least for me, how much I didn't trust myself because I was so used to the decision being made, not necessarily by someone else, but that a motive that wasn't organic to me. Absolutely. And, and radical honesty. So what I've learned is the more I practice radical honesty with myself, the fuller I feel because I'm like not hiding behind anything. But then it also contributes to radical honesty in the relationships that are most important. And now I can cipher through a lot of different things. And if it's all about relationships, then the better those relationships are with myself and other people, the better off I am. Doesn't mean it's without, not without pain and agony, but they get better over time. They get better over time. It's, it's like muscles, right? When you talk about like yoga, which I know is a deep part of your practice as well, trying something in asana for the first time versus 500th time, it's the same thing with de-schooling. Sometimes it feels crazy as hell when it's new. And as we've been talking about already, we don't have language and practice. But the more you do it, when those moments come up, because they will, then you'll realize, oh, I'm a, I'm a little bit stronger. I, I do have a little bit more presence of mind before I lose my shit. Or yes. <laughs> I'm fine with losing my shit. I don't have a problem with it now. I don't have any guilt afterwards. Mm. Or this is actually someone else's shit. Let me put it down. All of these things come up when you give yourself that sort of space. And I think that's what's hard because people look for a prescription for this sort of de-schooling, raising free people work. What are the five steps? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> tell me what you find them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could tell you one thing that will work now for Cassius. And then two months from now, based on where I am or where he is, it might be a totally different thing. And none of those are wrong. Yep. And that's yeah. exactly how it is. And I've learned that like a lot of hard ways in that who he was two months ago is not who he is anymore. And now I have to approach it differently, which is beautiful once you realize that that's what's going on. Once you realize. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very familiar. So tell mm-hmm. us, so we've been saying Cassius so and we've said Marley, when you said received your children. How did you receive your boys and how come y'all be unschooling? <laughs> um, they are my biological nephews. Their father is my brother. I received them because unfortunately and due to a lot of systematic bullshit, their mother's rights were terminated. And I received a phone call and made a split decision when I found out that they were in foster care that, oh, I'm going to take them in because I'm able to. Not necessarily because I was looking to raise children um, at the time, but because I was able to, and I too have lived in foster care. So 
I found it as an opportunity to stop some cycles and Mm -hmm. take on a responsibility that would help my brother, who I love dearly, you know. And so the system that he was in incarceration and that their mother was in or whatever contribute to her rights being terminated are part of these systematic things that make it hard for Black people to just exist in the United States of America, let alone the world. So I was in Chicago and I remember driving to Nebraska with my two baby mamas, my dear friends, their aunties to pick them up. And it wasn't a lot of thought that went into it. It was just something that needed to get done. I remember on the trip picking up, I hadn't changed a diaper like (laughs) a very long time. And I was like, oh, oh yeah. You know, where I was getting clothes and schools situated, there was these other things that like I had never thought about and had to learn along the way with Mm -hmm. the help of my dear friends. So there was a major learning curve, but my heart was there and they changed my life, you know? (laughs) Yes. In the best ways, in the best ways that allow me to be who I am today. So not like, I don't know, sometimes it get, it can be really cliche when they're like, oh, my kids changed my life. But like, you have a shirt that says motherhood raised me. So yes. that's what happened. It made me live out my values. So, you know, I was an organizer and we talked about this, that, and another, but there was no, I didn't see it being practiced. And it was like, oh, I have these kids now. Yes. This is the best time to practice all the things I believe in. And I do now, you know, and I, I'm still learning to be better at those practices, but their presence has made me more of a fuller human being. Yeah. And that is self-care, you know? So as much as sometimes I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah. Or how do I continue to do this? I'm also like, who and how else would I be without their presence and what we're in this journey together doing? That's, I think, really encouraging when we think about, at least for me, being raised by primarily a single mother. And um knowing that you have these feelings of just survival, when you say things like, what better time to practice it? For a lot of us, mothering and motherhood, in our minds, we're saying it's the worst time to do it because now I have this responsibility. I have so much more to lose and all of that. But it can also be the time where you are insistent on living out those values because you now have, in a sense, a built-in community because you, you are community with your boys. And then the community, as you said, your baby mamas, you know, extending that family to the communities that you created through like Red Bike and Green, which you're doing with Anna Julia Cooper, all these different spaces that you occupy now is a more urgent time than ever to to make sure that it is inclusive of our needs because you're now raising other people. Yes. And we become the examples for other people that we didn't have. That's the part that I'm like, people who come to me through any of the things that I do they're praising me or inquiring because they're seeing something they've never seen before. And that's what also affirms that how we're doing it, no matter how hard it is, is good because it's a reflection for other people and possibilities. So, yeah. And that, that for me is very much a part of the core of liberation, which is my why. That's my big fucking why. And motherhood just amplified it for me. When Marley and Sage came along, they just like loudspeakered it. And I'm very grateful for unschooling and de-schooling because, as you said, not carrying on certain things and creating things that we haven't seen before. Because because of this level of presence, I don't see them as extensions of me. I don't think I have to fix anything through them. But there's a level of empowerment that comes with being in a position of leadership with them where I can still fully be myself and be okay with that and also learn how to be okay with that. 
because, <laughs> you know, there's so many ideas of like who you should be when you become mm -hmm. a mother. And, you know, my life has never, ever been congruent with like the vast majority of those things. So it's just so beautiful to see you live it out loud and to say, I don't know how this thing will work out. And I am still insistent on being myself and contributing in the ways that are useful to me, not just because of the boys, but also because of me, just regular yeah. ass me. And that's been a thing too, is like, I existed before them had dreams, goals, and aspirations. I'm not giving that up just because I have kids. Right. I'm going to fold you in and we're going to live out all our dreams together. We're going to figure out how to live out all our dreams. Yes. Because I don't have to fall to the back for them to shine. Exactly. And we've done it. We've, we were all shining. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's going to get shinier and shinier. I want to talk yes. about that shine a little bit, but I know that is going to resonate with folks because I get a lot of messages from mothers and women identifying folk in particular about that. This idea of, can I be, can I become myself and still have this sense of prioritization around a child or children? Fuck yes, you have to, because you have a, a responsibility to do that. Dreams of my own to travel the world put on hold because I had young children that manifested itself last year to start at least. So we traveled through North and Central America for five months by ourselves via train, boat, plane, bus, you name it, we were on it. Um, we hit up every country in North America, I believe, continental North America, um, except for Belize. And we even went to Hawaii. And then we came back. The plan is to do a trip every year until we get all at least six of the continents or Cassius <laughs> goes somewhere when he's grown. Yes. Um, and so that's me living out my own dreams while exposing them to possibility. It was hard, but I didn't die. And <laughs> <laughs> we got stories for days and I'm going to do it again. So, yeah, that's the best part is that I know how to do it better for what I lacked and for what they needed. So we'll do it again to get better at it and keep getting better till we figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Each time each time. And I remember we had a couple of just sort of brief conversations before y'all hit that first continent. And I remember it's just like, well, how, you know, just, just all these different, very normal anxieties. And then now to see where you're like, yeah, we did it. It was awesome. Nobody died. We're about to do it again. You know, yeah. this is how, this is how these things work. When we de-school ourselves from the idea that this thing will not be possible until we have X, Y, Z, then we realize how limitless in a sense. I'm not romanticizing any of this, but so much more is possible than we imagine when we just make that decision to say, okay, this is what I want it to look like. This is what feels good for me. Other people have done the shit and they didn't have $5 million because that was my thing. Like, okay, when we have $5 million, of course we can travel internationally. <laughs> of course. Well, the world's our oyster at $5 million. And then I think for us, it was important to still align with our values. So we really live like locals. It was like wherever we're at, how y'all live in, that's yes. how we chose to live. And part of that was because of money, too. I wasn't able to splurge. But yes. that's how I like to move around is what are the every what are everyday folks doing? You know, if you sit on a beach, I'm sitting on a beach with you. <laughs> and from America in the winter, it might look luxurious. And it is, but also it can be mundane. And so we had to deal with what that felt like. My biggest fear was the alone, doing it alone. Like, that's why it took so long was because 
I was scared to do it alone. And mm-hmm. once I got past that, I was in it. I was like, oh, well, we're here. And it brought <laughs> the boys closer. And it also strengthened the relationships with the people who weren't there. And so I yes. came back having more value for the people that were important to me because I knew what it was like to be without them. And so that's where some of the reconfiguring goes in. I'm like, nah, y'all got to come visit me now because <laughs> <laughs> I missed you. Yes. And yes. I'm yeah. so glad you brought that up, Zara. That's something I feel like I never remember to share, to share outside of just like the walls of wherever we're living. It strengthens those relationships. Yes. Yep. That was a lesson I was not expecting to gain. <laughs> I was I like, bet. oh, I love y'all. Like, for real. Okay. <laughs> got it. Yes. And I feel so missed. Like, when I come back, yes. I'm like, yo, it's like rose petals. It feels like <laughs> rose petals. Because, oh, my goodness. Like, Zamundanus, for real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Tell us about the space making that you're part of right now. I know that there are some primary ones, maybe some that I don't even know about. But can you tell me about the primary ones right now and how those are feeding you and how you're using it to um, contribute? Red biking green. Um, that's my baby. Every year I'm like, I got one more year with it, but I <laughs> have a fellowship for it right now. And so we're pushing through. Congratulations and actually, on the fellowship. You. And I actually have the rights to do the national work now. Things were just kind of passed on to me. Focusing on Atlanta, but really trying to build up to have it be a functioning national entity. So that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I have the Anna Julia Cooper Learning and Liberation Project, which yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is a labor of love, but a much needed <laughs> self-directed educational space right now that we we opened this year with the yes. other founders and have a facilitator. And it's still going. That's the one that misses me. Like, I forget. I'm like, yo. A learning center open. Yes. That happened. Like I did it. Yes. And it's happening. Yes. Like it's unfolding. Yeah. That's the jewel. Although I don't think I put in as much work to it as other um, projects. That's the most radical thing I think I've contributed to. And then just to keep it at three, because that's my number. <laughs> my last project I'll mention is Black Freedom Outfitters. So it is I'm an entity that curates spaces and trips for Black folks to take risks in the outdoors. So Mm. bike tours, backcountry hiking, we hope to incorporate some water, but basically teaching people how they can be outdoors and do it joyfully. And what we've learned is that Black queer feminists are the ones who have been utilizing that space most Mm. and have come on the trips most. And so last year we introduced that country hiking and did two trips on the Appalachian Trail on top of the bike tours that we did last year. It's a useful tool that we're finding folks really are into building up those skills for themselves and it allows them to take a break from their work. So they're using it for vacation, but it's not luxurious. Like you're grimy, <laughs> you're dirty, yeah. you're outdoors. So it's not the, the most relaxing vacation, but folks are into it. Love it. And I'll be sure to put the links for all of these entities on the show notes page for this episode so that you can get you some as well as the best way to contact Zara. Yeah, it's just lovely, man. I I really appreciate it. Obviously, it feels like only 22 seconds and nowhere near enough time, but (laughs) (laughs) this was enough to sort of whet the appetite. And I I really just encourage y'all to take a look at her social media spaces. It really is, for me, one of the most beautiful examples of beingness, for lack of a more clear fucking term, just beingness, this idea that all of the ways that you show up, the different things that 
take up your mind space, the different ways that you're healing yourself, the different ways that you're helping to be part of healing spaces, that they can look like different things at different times. And all of that is not only okay, but beautiful and not just beautiful to look at because that's less important than beautiful to experience. Like all of this stuff grows you. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to be off the path, whatever the path is, however much time you've invested in it. If the shit doesn't feel good, get a bike (laughs) and get off the path (laughs) and find another fucking way that feels really, really good to you. And I promise you there are other people out there doing that too. So you're not going to be alone and you, you absolutely deserve to find spaces where you can feel free or that you feel part of creating freedom. And I feel like you're doing that, Zara. So thank you for being an example. Thank you very much. You as well. I've learned so much from you. Yes. Fear of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces, breathing life into liberation practices proactively and on purpose. It's about parenting. It's about self-directed education, loving. It's about learning. Thanks for listening to Fair the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at akilasrichards.com.